We have a lot to be proud of in the blueberry industry, but we also can't allow our past successes to lull us into complacency. One of the things I would want you to think about is to avoid complacency because you've been successful. I think it's one of the, the biggest challenges we face in our industries as agriculture is because we had a good year, now we got it. Or we've had a good run, now we've got it. Success can put us into a complacent mindset and that probably is what hurts most of us as industry leaders the most is we cannot get complacent when things are good. Today I sit down with leaders of three other commodity groups to learn about their visions for the future and how they are turning those visions into reality. There's a lot here that directly applies to the business of blueberries. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, as you know, we have a vision to make blueberries the world's favorite fruit here at USHBC. And in today's episode, we are looking outside of blueberries to understand how other commodities are thinking about their future and making progress towards their visions. You're going to hear from three separate interviews I did with Robert Verloop, CEO of the California Walnut Board, Alvaro Luque, CEO of Avocados from Mexico, and Richard Waycott, CEO of the Almond Board of California. Now, I think you'll find what they have to share both insightful and directly applicable to how we can continue to grow the blueberry industry. We'll start with Robert Berloop, who many of you know. Robert is no stranger to the berry industry and his time at Nature Ripe Farms, and he was hired to be the CEO of the California Walnut Board last year. When I joined Nature Ripe Farms, I asked some questions about the food service industry and, and why was the blueberry, the fresh blueberry in particular, not such a big item in food service. And as we started to do research and we worked with USHBC and NABC, it became clear that success had been pretty easy to come by to some extent. And I'm finding that parallel at the, at the walnut industry. The walnut industry in California, just to give you a context, is 450,000 acres approximately. A lot of growth in the last 10 years because things were great. Things were really good. Prices uh, you know, attracted a lot of additional acres and new growers. And you know, the expression that I use is that every walnut found a home. And, and to some extent, that was happening in the blueberry industry, certainly when I started there as well. And what's happening to us in the walnut area, and it's probably facilitated a little bit by COVID and all the changes in the dynamics that we deal with, is we went from a growth industry to a maturing industry. And the way that I talk to our growers and handlers about that is as we are maturing, it's about different packaging. It's about a focus on quality. It's about having a diversity of markets where you need to ship to, not just geographically, because 65% of our walnuts go international, but it's also understanding the, the role that retail food service 
processed products in, in, in blueberries case, you know, certainly the frozen and dried areas, understanding how each of those can play a role into this marketing cube and understanding that each one of them is necessary. Our industry today in California was decimated by a heat wave in September that affected the entire crop to the point that growers are today receiving 30 cents on the dollar of what they should be getting. And so we were not prepared for that. We were not prepared for a crisis of this magnitude. And part of it was we were victims of our own success. And so one of the things that, you know, Casey, I I would look at for you is, are we prepared for the unexpected? And you don't know what the unexpected is, but there are some basic foundational things that I think USHBC has done for a long time to give you that foundation, those building blocks that you can build off of. But we're going through a strategic planning process right now at the California Walnut Commission. I have both a commission and a federal marketing order, so I have a board on that side. And we're going through an evaluation similar to kind of what your question is and and what we've talked about, and that is the industry needs to have a strategic plan. USHBC needs to have one, as does NABC. There's so many things that I learned when I was involved with the berry industry, and in particular the blueberry part, that I'm applying here. But you know, a lot of that has to do with understanding the consumers. And as we start to understand our customer base and our consumer base, I often go back to some of the things that you know I've learned, whether it was at Nature Ripe Farms or Sunkist, and really think about it from a commodity standpoint, having a consumer mindset. And I think that has not served us well in the past, and it's something I'm working on in the future. And in order to make sure we are executing our strategy and growing the pie for everyone, it's important that we have data. We have made huge strides in the past year with the hire of our Director of Business Intelligence, Joe Vargas. And Joe has led the efforts to launch a data and insights platform to change how we communicate with each other and access industry's information, both on the fresh and on the frozen side. And as Robert says, we can now use this data to lead to more informed decisions and actions. Um, you know, I, I commend you guys because you've taken this step uh, already and have for a long time collected that data. And now you've got staff that's focused in on that, if I understand it correctly. That's key. Now the question is, is that you have the data that generates knowledge. The, the next step is creating an, an action plan around that, I, I would assume. And I will tell you that back in the my days with the Avocado Commission, we had a program that called AMRIC. I know in California, it's BMRIC. It's the same company. What it is, it's transparency of pricing and volume shipments on a day-to-day basis, incoming product versus outgoing final product. Having that information empowered the handlers, in the case of avocados, we call them handlers, or walnuts as packers, but it would handle the folks that take it from the grower and put it into the market. It gives them extremely rich, deep knowledge, not to take orders away from their competitors, but to make sure that we're not the weakest link in the chain. I think there's a balance between category management data and what I call category development data and mindset against understanding the logistics of packing, shipping, and marketing that goes with that. And so if you can find the right balance there, I think that's huge. That also unifies the industry, by the way, because if you're a packer, you don't see your competitors' you know, specific data. It's all in, in aggregate. I sense, you know, if you look at category management, that's kind of also the way of the scan data. It's also how that's presented and worked around. But what it does is it unifies the industry on common terms, uh, on common objectives. 
And uh, it's the old adage, right? That which gets measured gets done. And so that gives you that opportunity to do that. And at the most fundamental level for why growers grow, it's we like to say that it's for, well, I produce a healthy product and you know it's good for families and all that. Let, let's be real honest about it. And I had a grower in the walnut industry say this to me, and I, I thought his honesty was really refreshing. He goes, Robert, I like walnuts. I enjoy growing them. I, I, I love the big trees and how it feels when I walk through them. But in the end, I enjoy growing walnuts because I make money. And I'm not a, a, ashamed to say that this is a business and we need to run it like a business. And we need to think about you know, risk management and a capital flow. And where are we going to get hit that's going to impact my cash flow? I think that's a very important point. Blueberries are a business, hence the name of this podcast. And a well-run business in this day and age runs on data. Now, I'm really excited about the progress we're making in this area. One question I asked each of these leaders that you'll hear from today is, what's the dream or the strategic vision for their commodity? For Robert, who's still in his first year at the Walnut Board, they're going through the process of developing this vision. I don't have that answer today where I sit. You know, I'd love to say that we want to be the world's ultimate choice in tree nuts. I don't know if that's reaching far enough. We're just now starting our strategic planning process, and we want to identify that. And then the question is, is if we identify what that is, are we unified around what it takes to get there? And, and you kind of said it, right? It, do we have the resources to accomplish what we're talking about? And I worked for somebody one time that, that said, you know, there's three things that we are responsible for. We've got to create velocity in the marketplace. We have to generate value. And that value could be real or perceived. And so to your point, to be the world's favorite fruit, that's a perception, Right. And that's wonderful. Working on perception is great. Are you going to sell uh, more blueberries than bananas and apples and grapes around the world? That's yet to be determined. But the perception is you're the most preferred fruit around the world. And I, I think that that's fine. The other V, by the way, is viability. If you don't have volume and value, you don't have viability. And a grower stopped me a couple of days ago and he said, you know, I love that, but I want to thrive. I don't want to just be viable because if our industry is thriving, that means that we're securing a future for our kids. We're securing a future for our laborers who work for us. And we're securing a future for our local economies. Volume, value, viability. Those are the three V's to keep in mind as we reach for our own vision, another V, to become the world's favorite fruit. Thanks to Robert Verloop for sitting down with me and sharing his insights in this conversation. We have two more guests to share with you today, but before we do, it's time for our crop report. The domestic season has begun and we still have reports coming in from Mexico and Peru. So here, once again, is your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today you'll hear from Brittany Lee in Florida, Darren Wheeler in Georgia, Eric Staffney reporting for Louisiana and Mississippi, Mario Ramirez in Mexico, Elise Oliver in California, TJ Hafner in Oregon, and Matt McCree in New Jersey. This was recorded on April 12th, 2023. Good morning. This is Brittany Lee with your Florida Crop Update. We are 
on the backside of the peak in most growing regions, uh, most growers are reporting they are between 40 and 60 percent through their harvest, um, with North Florida being slightly behind. Uh, south of I-4 will be wrapping up in the next week or so, but North Florida has several more weeks of their peak yet to come. We have more than enough labor here in Florida. Birds are also plentiful. The fruit quality is excellent. Earlier this week, we ex experienced extremely cool temperatures for during harvest, uh, but the next several days, we will be warming back up in Florida with only a slight chance of rain for uh, a few of the, the days for the rest of this harvest week. And that's your Florida blueberry crop update for the week. Good morning, this is Darren Wheeler. I'll be reporting for the state of Georgia. Uh, we are now uh, in our third week of production. Uh, we're, we're picking on all of our growing regions. Uh, those varieties include Rebel, Georgia Dawn, Patricia, Medlark, Farthing, and Emerald. Labor is a concern. Most growers report they do have ample labor at the current time to pick the, the blue fruit that they do have, uh, but most report that labor is being delayed at the border. Some report uh, delays from seven to 10 days on preseason arrival dates. So that is a concern as we move into our peaks of our season uh, and our ability to get the crop harvested, which could uh, cause growers to prematurely switch from uh, hand harvest to machine harvest. Disease pressures are higher than normal, and that is due to a uh, extremely uh, cooler than normal temperatures. Uh, the next 10-day forecast is a high in the low 80s and then a low in the upper 50s. So that does give us a concern for uh, high disease pressure. And then we also have a chance of rain for three out of the next 10 days. And that is the report for Georgia. This is Eric Staffney doing the report for Mississippi and Louisiana. As you will, may know, we had a freeze event on March 20th and certain areas got down to as low as 24 degrees. We were two weeks ahead of schedule at that point. So all the Southern high bush were already in, uh, had fruit set on them and were sizing up at that point. Some of the early rabbit eye flowers were open and were just at fruit set. So anything that had flowers that were closed was spared. Anything where flowers open or fruit was set uh, were destroyed. So we're going to have very few blueberries out of Mississippi uh, this year, unfortunately. So the only thing that's really left are the late rabbit eyes, which most of the growers do not grow unless they're in something like a pick your own situation. So it's very difficult to predict what the final harvest will be right now, but uh, it's a pretty dire situation here this year uh, for Mississippi. Louisiana might have been spared a little bit more, but I'm hearing there's a 50% crop there compared to maybe a 20% or less crop in Mississippi. So that's my report. Hello everyone, here Mario with the Mexican Blueberries Report for week 14. During week 14, Mexico exported 8,505,000 pounds of fresh blueberries to the United States and another 308,000 pounds to other destinations like Europe and Asia. The total volume exported worldwide of fresh blueberries was 
8,814,000 pounds with a 10% of this volume of organic blueberries exportations. The organic volume was 928,000 pounds. This week the volume is 5% lower than previous week and in frozen blueberries Mexico exported 8,640 pounds 80% lower than the previous week and representing less than the 1% of the total United States importations for frozen blueberries. The production in North region continues delayed and we expecting in the next two weeks to grow to reach the peak production of Mexico. We expecting this by the end of April or maybe begin of May. That's all in my report. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. My name is Elise Oliver, and I'm with the California Blueberry Commission here to give the weekly crop report for California. Um, our numbers have not changed since um, last week. We are still projecting 55 million pounds fresh, 25 million pounds processed for a total of 80 million pounds. Our season is still about two to three weeks delayed due to the colder temperatures that we've had this winter in California. This week in the Central Valley of California, we finally hit our first 80 degree day of spring. Um, last year, I think we were already having um, several 80 degree days at this time. So now that it's warming up, hopefully our season starts picking up in the weeks to come. But yeah, that's it from California. Good morning. This is TJ giving the crop report for Oregon. We are also a solid uh, two to three weeks behind normal up here. We've had uh, a lot of cool weather. I don't know that we've had a day above 80 degrees yet. And we've had some challenges getting uh, early season, like mummy berry sprays applied. Very little open bloom so far. We haven't brought bees into any of our farms, and I haven't seen any other growers with that yet either. I think it's going to come on real quickly here when the, when the weather changes, and I'm optimistic that we can, we can catch up with a few real warm days. Flower bud set actually looks really good. As of now, we're still predicting 90 million pounds for fresh and 75 million pounds processed. Minimal frost damage, and um, that's about it. All right, so this is Matt McCree reporting for New Jersey. We're just starting to see some flowers open here. Bees are being dropped as we speak. Uh, so bloom is pretty much just beginning. So we've had some temperatures the past couple of days just jumping into the 80s, which is pretty warm for this time of year looks like for our harvest right now is probably about the 10th of june is the prediction and 36 million fresh and 4 million for process as uh, the prediction is for now and that's all i have to report well thanks so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take the time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry, including USDA shipping price and movement, retail category performance, monthly retail sales reports, and much, much more. Make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. Okay, well now back to today's episode about lessons blueberries can learn from other commodities. Up next, we have Alvaro Luque, CEO of Avocados from Mexico. Now, as many of you know, avocados have enjoyed tremendous growth and a unique growth path, in fact, uh, being able to increase real value while at the same time, uh, tremendous increase in supply. And I wanted to pick Alvaro's brain about how 
They've made this happen and their vision for where things are going to go from here. He started at the beginning of Avocados from Mexico and the importance of being open to new ideas. When we started this organization in 2014, one of the things that, that we were looking at is that we had an issue because at that time we were 65% of the market. We only had like 20% of uh, consumer brand preference. So we were a market leader that was not a market leader in the minds of consumers. So these guys wanted to, to create a marketing organization. And one of the things that they did that I think is a, is a game changer for us is, is bringing people like me that were not in the produce industry. So at that moment, we were mixing good experience that we had in, in produce in the company with individuals that had absolutely nothing to do with the category and they were bringing new thinking, right? So when I... When I got here, I had no experience in produce, but I had a lot of marketing experience in CPG. So one of the things that I tried to um, explain these guys is that I saw a great opportunity at that moment of bringing all the good of the CPG marketing into a produce world that still was lagging behind in some things that were very normal day-to-day stuff in, in CPG. So we tried to use this playbook since the beginning. And one of the biggest decisions at that moment was, okay, we need a big stage. We need a stage where we can go in and say, well, we're a cause for Mexico. We're the leader in the U.S. and we're here to stay and make this market grow. And that's where the Super Bowl came in. Bringing together producers to pool resources and create a unified playbook led not just to Super Bowl ads, but to tremendous growth. But as Alvaro will test, big dreams require having the means. Well, first of all, I have to be honest. It's not easy doing something like that if if I didn't have the dollars to do it, right? We've been very fortunate in this company that these guys decided to create because I'm not sure if there are other check programs that have exactly my my situation. But uh, in my case, I have all the power of the U.S. and all the power of Mexico in one organization. All the dollars come to me. And we create a plan for the industry using the funds of two countries with one purpose. So that that organization, I have to give a lot of uh, recognition to these guys on how they build it up. Not easy to have 30,000 growers and 75 packers on one side and 250 importers on the other side from two countries and then come together in a group of eight. Because I, I report to a joint executive committee of eight people. Four from Mexico and four from the U.S., and it works great. Actually, I can tell you, I think that once in nine years, I got a, maybe that idea is not, is not right, uh, right, in, in, <laughs> in nine years, once. So these guys really created an organization that works very well, right, that, that lets me and let our team work, create things that are out of the norm, out of the ordinary, and build that brand for the future and build that consumption for the future. I've talked to other organizations in the past, produce organizations, fresh organizations, and one of the issues that that they have is that they haven't been able to organize their marketing thinking with the board responsibilities at the same time, right? These these guys, at least my guys, understood very well that their job is, is to be board members and help me out thinking about the future, and they let me operate almost like it was my company. And I appreciate that that big time. We've been very responsible managing their funds. Actually, in 
eight years. We're closing our ninth year here. We have given money back every single year instead of using all the funds. So, so those, those type of things are, are good for me to really know that, that we, we care about their funds, but they really let me, let me do it. So that combination of having the funds and having a good governance and then having the rules that let you play and make decisions are three things that definitely have, have been a, a great game changer for us. I shared part of this audio with everyone at the Blueberry Convention as a part of my dreams and means speech, because I think it's important to recognize the opportunity we have here. And means refers to not just money, although that's certainly part of it, but also strategy, people, tools, and culture. That's what we're building in the blueberry industry. And that's what's really exciting. It's all about working together, collaboration to drive demand and increase both the volume and the value of blueberries worldwide. For Alvero and Avocados, they really focus on building a brand similar to what we're doing in Grab a Boost of Blue. We believe that if we continue making that brand stronger and stronger in the minds of consumers, that we're going to be willing to pay a higher price and a, and a value for all the things that we give them on the marketing side. So that's why we're building the brand. On the other side, accelerating demand in general, the general part is very important also because one of the things that we said since the beginning is we're not going to look at the other origins as competition. Now we have like 85% of the market. So I, I don't focus on the other 15%. If I can help them, sometimes I will. No, no problem. There are parts in the year where my promotions are going to help the other guys. Amazing. I need to focus on how to grow the market. Because if I grow the market, then I will capture 85% of a bigger pie. And that's the thinking that we've had since the beginning. So with that dual responsibility, we were able to take the brand from a 20% brand preference at the beginning to now more than a 60% brand preference. So the brand is heading the right direction. And in the volume side, we were able to duplicate the market in seven years. So that's working on that side. This focus on branding will be critical for us to become the world's favorite fruit. Thank you to Alvero for letting me record this conversation for both my speech in San Diego and this podcast. And we're going to take a quick break here for our Blueberry Boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Engagement and Education, Amanda Griffin. Thanks, Casey. This week's Blueberry Boost will be centered around an update on the Blueberry Industry Leadership Program. If you are just now tuning in and are unfamiliar with this program, the Blueberry Industry Leadership Program launched in March 2021, is designed to elevate up-and-coming leaders in the blueberry industry by providing in-depth training, industry education, and connection to other ag leaders for passionate blueberry professionals across the supply chain. The program offers an immersive, personalized leadership training throughout the year-long fellowship and creates camaraderie among the fellows to form a lifelong support network. The current class of 10 fellows are in the middle of their journey. They are getting ready to embark on a class trip to Mexico and working on their capstone project they will present at their graduation in the fall at our Blueberry Summit held in Savannah, Georgia. We are excited to announce that the application process for the second class will open on May 1st. The ideal candidates for the Blueberry Industry Leadership Program are passionate individuals who want to have an active role in leading the next era of growth for blueberries. Growers, both domestic and international, processors, handlers, exporters, and buyers are all eligible to apply. 
The evaluation criteria includes demonstration of leadership potential, commitment to the success of the industry, career relevance to the blueberry industry, and letters of recommendation. The selection of applicants is the sole responsibility of the USHBC Leadership Program Selection Committee, which is comprised of USHBC council and committee members, plus other blueberry industry stakeholders. For more information about the Blueberry Industry Leadership Program, please visit ushbc.blueberry.org forward slash leadership. This has been your weekly Blueberry Boost. Now, Casey, back to you. Thanks, Amanda. Now back to today's episode. Last but certainly not least, I want to share parts of my conversation with the Almond Board of California CEO, Richard Waycott. Richard announced that he will be stepping down at the end of 2023 after over 20 years of leading the industry through a time of tremendous growth. When I asked him what factors contributed to that growth, he gave me an answer that is directly transferable to blueberries. Well, there's no doubt that the Nutrition Research Foundation that we continue to build today uh, was, I think, the, the, the most fundamental factor in the success of the industry's growth around the world. Prior to 2000, we had very little in the pipeline in, in that regard, and uh, we've committed uh, in recent years $3 million a year to clinical research uh, around the world. And, and that was a key decision, too, was to start uh, funding clinical research in different uh, markets around the world. So it would be research you know, that was more um, credible or certainly more could socialize it better with, with local populations having been conducted in that country. And so I think that barring anything else, the Nutrition Research Foundation that we built has uh, been such an incredible driver. And then having the ability to take that and uh, communicate it in a way that's relevant to consumers in, in different countries around the world. Nutrition research. And that last part about communicating it to consumers is so important for us in Blueberries. I'm really excited about the progress we're making in this space. Thanks in large part to the MOU dollars that are supporting these efforts. We just had our first research roundtable in Washington, D.C., which we recapped in episode 128, and there's so much more opportunity for blueberries to maintain and grow our health halo. I asked Richard how the almond industry carries out their vision of making life better in what we grow and how we grow, and translate that into strategy and objectives for the industry. Well, uh, the board of directors meets every two years for a strategic planning uh, retreat. And uh, used to be when I got there, it was every five years, then it moved every three years, now it's every two years. And I think that obviously we, we meet with the board during the year, but uh, I think those retreats are really key to having the time to take a, a really in-depth look at uh, the future and not only on the consumer and the, the demand side, but also on the agricultural side and be able to to really fashion a plan around what is needed and then what kind of funding is it going to take to implement those programs. And so by example, this was back about 10 years ago, uh, we were faced with one of our sort of steeper increases in production that was coming down the pike. And so the board asked us to, to go and, and really come forward with all the programs that we felt were needed to anticipate that growth and, and be out there developing markets ahead of that growth, as well as what things were needed on the ag side to uh, just really drive our yields and, and drive our efficiencies at the grower level. 
And that was going to require an extra cent per pound, where currently three cents uh, was going to require another penny or more. Uh, and so the board took the decision to increase our assessment by a penny for three years, which provided at that time about another $25 million a year. And so they took that decision that uh, that's what the industry needed. And we went forth and raised the assessment for three years. And then it sunsetted after that. But you know, it's that kind of, I think, conviction that's needed at the board level to make those hard decisions on behalf of the industry. And I know it's difficult sometimes because it's, in my case, it's 10 people deciding, you know, things for 7,600 growers. And so it's a pretty, pretty weighty uh, responsibility in that sense. Uh, but uh, our board has had that conviction that that's their responsibility and have made those difficult decisions when, when they're needed. Stepping up and making those hard decisions is what leadership is all about. I appreciate Richard sharing their success in almonds and some of the lessons along the way. As we close out this episode, I'll also share with you Richard's parting thoughts for the leadership of the blueberry industry. Well, I'd probably just reiterate that I, I can't overstate uh, the importance of having a well thought out strategy and, and funding it and sticking to it with some course corrections along the way. But I, I think that of all the things we've done at the Allen Board over the last 20 years, that's that's been absolutely key to the success. And so I would, that would be a message to your board that if they ever waver from that, I, I pull yourselves back because it's uh, that's what makes industry successful, I think, is is taking the time to to develop that strategy and then implement it and let the professionals do their job and you and your team and the others in the industry that that can focus on this or the ones that need to drive it. Now, thanks again to Richard, Alvaro, and Robert for sitting down with me for these three interviews. I am more convinced than ever that we have a massive opportunity ahead of us in blueberries, and we are making great progress. To go back to Robert's quote at the top of the show, now's not the time to be complacent. It's time to ensure that we have the means to make our dreams a reality. Well, that's it for episode 132. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. 